Our series is called The Blues and the Weather is Cooperating. <laughs> I backed out of my garage this morning and saw the weather and I started complaining to God because Mary Alice and Stephen were already on campus and she was getting ready for discovery this morning. And so I was by myself and I thought, God, why did you put me in a cold place like this? And, um, but you know, it's so interesting because I, I was driving through my neighborhood and I started thinking about the fact of how much I love New Spring in my life. And I said, well, God, I wouldn't trade lives with anybody else. And then I got thinking, God, I wouldn't trade a piece of my life with anybody else's piece of life because God is so good. So I apologize for talking about living in a cold place when I'm from Texas and I'm here in Kansas. <laughs> Blues come at funny times, don't they? I mean... There are times when we experience the blues like David did. David is a king of Israel, but he was also a musician, and he wrote a book of psalms. Most of the songs that are in that book are his, and the interesting thing about it, the lion's share of the songs in the book of psalms are blues songs. It's so interesting that David would be such a great man of God and such a great king, and yet he would sing the blues so much, and I think that you and I can resonate with that. Today, though, I want to talk about the low-down, dirtiest blues song you'll ever sing. I love the blues, as I shared with you last week. I love, I love blues music. And, and sometimes I'm listening to a blues song, and, and I'm sort of understanding what the person is saying. But then there are times when I'll, I'll listen to it, and it just, like, gets me right here. And, and, and David is going to sing several songs. In fact, of all the lament psalms or blues songs in the Bible, we, I've narrowed it down to four. And we had the first one last week, and, and we've got today's and two more coming after this. Today's, though, is the, is the toughest, lowest down blues song that David ever had to sing. And I think you'll understand when I, what I mean when I get there in just a moment. Last week, we talked about how that David had the blues because somebody else heard him. Somebody, some party was unkind to him, and David was innocent. He didn't deserve to be treated that way. And I'm guessing that all of us will experience that sometime. Somebody just gets it in for you, and they just set out to hurt you. And I've experienced that. If you haven't, chances are you will, and you'll just say, God, I don't understand this. Like, David, why are these people out to hurt me? But at least when that happens, you can say, God, look at this. You know I'm innocent. Why am I going through this? So that is some help. And then next week, we're going to talk about when a relationship goes bad. And a lot of us have experienced that, and chances are, if you haven't, you will. Maybe it was the breakup of a, of a romance. Could have even been the breakup of a marriage. And if somebody you thought would always be in your corner turned away from you. We'll, we'll talk about that next weekend. But even when that happens, at least you can say, well, I, you know, I didn't want this relationship to break up. You know, I wasn't, I, it wasn't my fault. I didn't want to have a, a breakage in the relationship between my kid and me or my parents and me or my friend and me. And I, we can say, you know, even though I'm singing the blues, it wasn't what I wanted. In the last weekend, we're just going to talk about David looking back on his life and still kind of having the blues that life didn't work out the way he thought it was going to work out. But like I say today, I'm going to deal with when we have the blues, the lowest down dirty blues we'll ever sing. And that's when it's our fault. That's when we do something. And it's just amazing to us. It's certainly amazing to the people we love and amazing to our friends. But we do something just so dumb, so ridiculous, so stupid, so bad that people are looking at us and they're asking the question that we're asking louder than anyone else, which is, what was I thinking? You do know you have a dark side, don't you? 
I mean, we're pretty open about that at New Spring. This is, not a, this is a church where you unscrew your halo before you come in. We're very clear on the fact that we're flawed, broken people. It always amazes me the hypocrisy of our culture. When someone does something really bad, like, you know, Tiger Woods had his mea culpa this week, and, and, and certainly I find repugnant what he did, but it, isn't it just a little sordid how the culture just jumps on somebody like that, like a feeding frenzy? And our, our knowledge is that a lot of the people who are jumping on him have stuff in their closet they wouldn't want the National Enquirer to get a hold of. You have a dark side. And here's the deal. Every once in a while, it's going to bubble up. And if we're not careful, something will come out of us so bad that we're going to look at life and say, well, how did this happen? I can't believe I did it. And, 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 and even though we may try, we won't be able to look around and blame somebody else and say, it's not my fault. Deep down inside, even if we are blaming other people, we will know, I did this to myself. David's going to do something really bad. It's amazing to me. I've read this ever since I've been a little kid. And now I'm 53 years old, and I keep reading it, and I keep thinking, how on earth could David do something like this? Because after all, when, as if you were here last weekend, when God talked to the prophet Samuel and said, hey, I want you to anoint a new king, and it was David, God said to Samuel, this is my guy. This is the guy I like. In fact, he would say, this is a guy who is like me. And he would write all the Psalms pretty much, and this is the guy that would write the 23rd Psalm, and the Lord is my shepherd and all that. It's that guy. It was the guy that we saw last week who wouldn't even touch a man who was trying to destroy him. David wouldn't get vengeance. What a, what a noble guy. But unfortunately... David has what we used to call back in the early 90s a midlife crisis. You remember those? I think there's something to that. Generally, when we talk about a midlife crisis, we're referring to a man, but I think women sometimes go through midlife crises too. And I don't know exactly what's the psychology behind it, but the idea is, you know, I've reached this place in life and I'm a little bit bored and I don't want, I don't want to get old, so before I get old, I just want to break free and do something crazy. I haven't given you this talk in a long time, but there's something that I believe, and I remind myself of it constantly. You do what you do because you are what you are. But if you stop doing what you do, you, you may not be who you are. I mean, I think that all of us, don't we, don't we get a little tired of the routine of life, and it's just, I do what I do, and isn't it something every once in a while that we say to ourselves, I'd like to just like do something really crazy and do something really different and change my life. But if you're talking about the things that you do that are what you do because you are who you are, you better not change what you do because you may look in the mirror one day and not know yourself anymore. <laughs> There's a saying in our house, next month it's going to ease up. You know, where else now we have breakfast, we'll say, boy, our life is crazy right now, but next month it's going to ease up. Hasn't yet. Let me tell you something. This is just me talking to you, just totally, totally honest, straight from, from my heart to yours. I would like for things to ease up as much as any human being. But I've, I've really come to believe that one of the reasons why God just keeps my life so complicated and so filled with things that I've got to get to, I think God wants to keep me doing what I do so I won't stop being who I am and start acting out of character. 
Our grandparents, great-grandparents perhaps used to have a saying, didn't they? An idle, idle hands are the devil's workshop or playground, depending upon your grandparents, however they said it. When the Bible starts telling the story of how David destroyed so much of his life, it simply says this, just as a preface. It says it was the time of year when kings go forth to battle, but David stayed home. David was a military man. That was what he did. We saw that last week. That's how he came to power. That's how God brought him to the place of kingship, was that he was a successful general. And every year, it was just the time of year when kings went out and dealt with whatever defensive issues they need to deal with. And and I don't know exactly how it happened. I just know that this was a time of blessing. This was a time where everything was going really well. And I don't know if it was David's idea. Probably it was his general's idea that said to him, sir, you know what? Things are so good right now. We don't have any big battles to deal with. Just a few skirmishes. We can go out do some cleanup work. Why don't you stay home? Why don't you chill? You know you're not as young as you used to be. And so David did. He decided to stay home. But David was a man, and some of you guys and gals can really relate to this. David was a man of action. He was a man whose life popped and sizzled with energy and vitality and probably stress too. But David was the kind of guy that needed action. He needed something going on in his life. He watched daytime television for a while, cried with Oprah a few times, <laughs> checked out the soaps, watched cable news, and just got bored out of his brains. So he went up on top of his palace and just checked things out. Unfortunately, his neighbor was a babe, and she was taking a bath. And you know, guys are naked women. When I was a kid, I used to listen to ministers preach this sermon, and they would say, Bathsheba was at fault too because she should have pulled the blinds. No, it wasn't like that at all. Baths in in this time frame were in the middle of the house. They couldn't be seen from street level, but they could be seen from where David was. Now, man, I want you to listen to me with all your heart right now. I know I'm sounding old school, and maybe I'm an old man, but let me just say this to you. You may not be able to help what you see in the first look, but you can help what you see with a second look. The first look may be an accident. The second look is intentional. And so it could have been that David just, you know, was up on top of his palace and just accidentally caught the sight of his na- you know, babe neighbor taking a bath, and David's like, oh, shouldn't have seen that. But he didn't. He just kept looking and kept looking. How did he reason it out? See, I don't, I don't think God followers just say, hey, there's a hot babe next door, or there's money on the table, or whatever it is that leads us into temptation. I don't think we just say, I think I'll just go out and screw up my life. I don't think we get up in the morning and say, just how can I devastate my family? I don't think we do that. It's gradual. And we do it by rationalizing. I don't know, when we get to heaven, this is what I'm guessing was happening. When we get to heaven, if I'm wrong, come look me up. If we still care, I'll apologize to you. But I'm guessing that this is what happened. I think David watched that naked woman. He said to himself, you know what? Other kings do this all the time. If they see, they see a woman they want, they just take her. That's what kings do. If you see something you want, just get it. I'm a king. I deserve this. I've had a challenging life. I've worked hard. And you know, I, I deserve some things like this. Other guys get this kind of thing all the time. I never do. And so David sent for her, and he was king, and they had sex, and that's it. When you and I do something really wrong, 
We have to be careful of two reactions, and I want to talk about those two reactions for pretty much most of my sermon. The first reaction is to say it didn't matter. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 20, it talks about a woman who has sex with a man who's not her husband, and it says she wipes her mouth and says, I didn't do anything wrong. And I hear that a lot today. Who are you to judge me? Hey, it's my life. And David was into that. I mean, he had sex with this woman. He's saying, you know what? Great afternoon. All over. And then she tweeted him and said, I'm pregnant. (laughs) In the February 15th edition of People magazine, Jenny Sanford is interviewed. I don't know if that name rings a bell to you or not, but she is, at least for now, the wife of the governor of South Carolina, Mark Sanford. Mark Sanford was an up-and-coming politician. In fact, it hasn't been too many months, so I was reading in, in magazines about Mark Sanford perhaps having presidential timber, that he was, he was an attractive candidate, he was articulate, he was well-spoken, he had come into office on family values and fiscal responsibility, and so clearly he was perhaps the darling of some of the more conservative-leaning people in the country as maybe being a presidential candidate. <laughs> One thing was, Mark had, like David, Mark had a babe in South America. And then his wife found out about it. And like the, well, I'll just call him a jerk. Like the guy that he is, he asked his wife, can I go up and meet her and break it off? Liar. He just wanted to hook up again. And then, of course, it hit the fan. And it was a big scandal. And Jenny Sanford has written a book, and I think it's a pretty balanced book, but about her experience as a wife and being treated that badly and all that. But none of that's what I want to talk about. I got to the end of the article, and here's what was interesting. Jenny Sanford said, I want my boys to learn a lesson. She said, I want them to learn you can choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequences. See, that's the disconnect in our culture today. Our culture says, hey, I'm empowered. I'm choosing my sin. I'm doing whatever I want to do. And that's technically true. And if you say, hey, I'm doing whatever I want to do and don't judge me, that's technically true. Only God can judge you. (laughs) But there's a problem with thinking you can control your circumstances and your consequences. If you're here today and you're saying, it's my life and I can do what I want to do, don't judge me. I tell you in love, the problem is you still have the shovel out and you're still digging the hole deeper. Not trying to judge you, I'm just saying you're still digging. Because now David is saying, well, you know what? I got her pregnant, but I I, I got an idea. I've got something that will keep this out of the National Enquirer. I know what to do. Bathsheba's husband was one of David's commanders. He was in the field at the time. It was a time for battle. He'd gone out to battle. And David just said, it's real simple. Let's just bring him home. And I'll, I'll have some kind of, you know, made-up meeting or something that I need to get him back here for, and we'll send him home, and he'll sleep with his wife, and everybody will just assume that the baby's his. You believe this stuff's in the Bible? Some of you didn't know that. It is. Uriah is a noble military man. He is a, he is a Navy SEAL. He is a Marine. He is special ops. He is... He is everything that's good about a soldier. David brings him home. I guess he has some kind of meeting with him. It's not real. He just wants to get him home. 
They have their meeting, and David said, hey, Uriah, let's tell you what, buddy, you're such a great guy. Why don't you go home, take a few days off, and spend some time with your wife before you go back to the field? And David says, I got it. After a while, one of David's assistants comes to him and says, sir, you know Uriah? He's sleeping out in the hall here at the palace. Juxtapose noble Uriah against David at this moment. Uriah said, how can I go home and spend time with my wife when my brother's soldiers are out in the field? And he's saying, I can't do this. David is learning you can pick your sin, but you can't pick your consequences. Okay, if that's how it is, David has one more thing, take care of damage control. David writes a letter to Uriah's superior officer, his commanding officer, and it goes like this. Tomorrow in the battle, put Uriah in the front of the battle where the men at the front who always get killed, put Uriah in the front and let me know if he gets killed. Sealed up the letter, gave it to Uriah. Uriah never knew he was carrying his death sentence. (laughs) When David's commander saw that, he thought, this is crazy. Uriah is one of our top guys. Put him in the front, get him killed. And the the commander was saying, David is going to kill me. If, If I let this man get killed, he's such a prized soldier. Why would I let him get killed? This is crazy. But he, he obeys orders, and then he's scared that David is going to take it out on him, and he sends it back and says, sir, I mean, I, I did that. doesn't make any sense. Don't get mad at me. And David says one of the coldest things you'll ever find in your Bible. is so, can you believe the man who wrote the Lord is my shepherd? When he gets the word that Uriah is dead, he just says a note back to Joab and says, don't worry about it. This kind of thing happens. What David doesn't understand is that life that he's been living up to now, that charmed life where God was there and just made everything fall his way, is never going to be there again. David begins to experience all kinds of circumstances. We don't know the whole story. And I'm going to talk about it some next week. But, but David's life just goes crazy. And he writes a blues song. And a lot of people never read this particular blues song. But it's, it's Psalm 38. And, and if, with your permission, I'm going to read a little more than I normally do. Because I just want you to get the feel of what this man is experiencing. I, I, there's a blues song that I like a lot. I told you last week I listened to a lot of blues music. And there's an old blues song that I listened to. And, 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 it, and it's about a guy whose life is is really painful, and it says, I'm going down, I'm going down, 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 down. If Psalm 38 had a title, it would be David saying, I'm going down, I'm going down, 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 down. Read it with me. Oh, Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage. Your arrows have struck deep, and your blows are crushing me. Because of your anger, my whole body is sick. My health is broken because of my sins. Look at verse 4. My guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. I am bent over and racked with pain. All day long, I walk around filled with grief. A raging fever burns within me, and my health is broken. I'm exhausted and completely crushed. My my groans come from an anguished heart. 
You know what I long for, Lord? You hear my every sigh. My heart beats wildly. My strength fails, and I'm going blind. My loved ones and friends stay away, fearing my disease. Even my own family stands at a distance. Meanwhile, my enemies lay traps to kill me. And those who wish me harm make plans to ruin me. All day long they plan their treachery. I'm deaf to their threats. I'm silent before them as one who cannot speak. I choose to hear nothing, and I make no reply. For I'm waiting for you, O Lord. You must answer for me, O Lord, my God. I prayed, don't let my enemies gloat over me. Rejoice at my downfall. Now, i got to be honest with you. When David talks about his health and his sickness, I don't know if he's talking about his physical health. If I had to guess, I would think that he's not. I think he's talking about his emotional health. Listen, he said at one point, my wounds fester and stink. David knew what it was like to have bad days. He knew what it was like to have things go wrong. He knew what it was like to be wounded emotionally. But his experience was different now because all the times he'd been wounded emotionally before, he had healed from that. But this time he is surprised that the emotional suffering that he has will not heal. He he said it festers and it stinks. In other words, he was saying, I'm infected with this thing and it won't heal. Boy, for any of us who have ever gone through anything, Maybe not the same thing David went through, but any time where we really did something stupid and dumb and it became public, you can understand what David was saying when he said, you know, the people that used to be close to me, they won't come around me right now because they're afraid of the scandal spilling over on them. Have you ever done anything really dumb? And then people that used to be your friends, they just won't get around you anymore because they're afraid somebody will gossip about them. And David is saying, God, I'm just walking around with this thing all day long and nothing seems to change. And he said, even my enemies are using this. People that hate me, they're using this as an opportunity to kick me in the face. I'm going down. I'm going down, 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 down. When you and I do something really wrong, the first mistake that we can make is just saying, it didn't matter. what What I did, I did. Just deal with it. The second mistake is where David is in Psalm 38, which is just to say, my life is over now. I've screwed up. God hates me. People hate me. My life is over. I say this from time to time, and I hope you you hear my heart. Most of all, I hope you hear God's word. The very last thing God wants from you is to live in guilt. Did you know that? Guilt is not a God thing. Now, religion's real good at producing guilt. It can crank it out real good. But God's not into guilt. I want to take you now to the second song that David wrote, and it's Psalm 51. Some of you who've studied your Bibles through the years, instantly you know where I'm taking you. Psalm 51 is one of the most famous psalms in the Bible. If I said name the top three psalms, chances are 51 would be among those top three songs. Because we know what Psalm 51 is. It is David healing. It is David getting right. And you say, well, Mark, is it possible that a man who would sleep with his neighbor and have her husband whacked, is it possible that he could ever be right again? And the answer is, believe it or not, yes. Yes. Read the song with me. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. 
because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me, from my, wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what's evil in your sight. You'll be proved right in what you say, and your judgments against me are fair and just. For I was born a sinner, yet, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, or many translations say in the inner parts, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back the joy again. You've broken me, now let me rejoice. One of the most poignant lines, I think, in the Bible, David says, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that, I'm, that my mouth may praise you. You don't desire a sacrifice, or I'd offer one. You don't want burnt offerings. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. For any of us who've ever strayed away, done something really bad, which is probably 100% of us, and if you haven't, you probably will. There are three things you need to heal from that. You ready for these? And I'm going to just give them to you from this psalm. If you'd like to be healed after having done something that haunts you day and night, let me give you three things. If you do these things, you can move on with your life. Number one, take responsibility. I counted 10 times in this psalm, David says, God, I messed up. I sinned. I did wrong. He says it in different ways. He calls it iniquity. He calls it sin. He, he calls it filth. He just says, God, I did wrong. Now, here's the point. Here's why this is so important. Our culture is so big today in blaming other people. And here's the thing. When you and I do something wrong, there will almost always be extenuating circumstances. You can almost always say, well, if my wife had been this, then I wouldn't have done this. If my husband had, had, had said these kinds of things to me, then I wouldn't have done this. And, and if I'd made enough money, I wouldn't have taken that money that didn't belong to me, and, and if, if it hadn't been a difficult situation, I would have told the truth, and I wouldn't have lied to me. We can almost always point to extenuating circumstances, but here's the thing. There's no healing in that. There's no healing until we said, I chose the sin. And Ten times David said, I did. And here's what's really interesting. David said to God, God, your judgments of me are fair. Whatever, whatever I've got coming, I've got coming. Your judgments are right. Your judgments are fair. He's not saying, I can't believe God's doing this to me. So if you want healing, the first thing you have to do is like David, you've got to say, God, it's me. It's me. In fact, he even makes the point that he has a rebellious heart. He even says, God, I know I was born in sin. He was saying, I, I was warped at the very beginning. I've got a dark side in me, and I'm taking responsibility, and I'm owning up to it. Number one, take responsibility. Number two, learn from it. <laughs> one of the concerns that I have sometimes in dealing with Christians is that they do something wrong, and they'll do the first thing. They'll say, God, I'm responsible. I did wrong. I'm sorry. But it's like they just stop right there, and they never learn from it. 
Either they repeat the same thing over again or they just walk around feeling like their life is finished. They, they, they never learn. And when I look at, at, at chapter 51 that I love so much is David shows us that he's learned something from the sin that he's committed and what has happened since that time. He says to God, I've learned what's really in me. I've learned that I have a rebellious heart. David was saying, God, I, I know that I'm not who I thought I was. And here's what's really interesting. He said, God, you desire honesty in the inner parts. When I was getting ready for this message, I thought if you had caught David 10 years before and you had said, hey, David, you know what? You know what you're going to do? You're going to sleep with your neighbor who's married to one of your military guys, and to cover up the scandal, you're going to have him killed. I think David would have slapped you up, upside the head, as we used to say. He did not believe that was possible, that that was in him. And I think if you had said, David, are you an honest man? I think he would have said, I tell the truth to everybody in my life. And that was probably true. But there was one person David wasn't telling the truth to. And that was David. And now that he's learned, he's saying, God, I figured this thing out. What you really want is you want me to be honest with myself. The second thing he learned was that God didn't want sacrifices. David was a man who worshiped God in a public way, and in those days, people brought sacrifices. The, the, the modern equivalent of that would be saying, God, I know you, you don't want me to come write a big check to the church. That's not what you're into. I know you don't want me to, you know, to make this thing right by doing some kind of holy act. What he was saying, God, what you really want is a broken and a repentant heart. One of the issues that I have with traditional religion, and for all of you who've been part of traditional religion, you know that in some situations, people kind of look the part at church. You know, they, they, they act the part and look the part. It's if, you know, God really uses me because I have no problems in my life and I've got everything worked out. Do you know what the Bible says? God uses broken things. God uses broken people. God rarely uses anybody who thinks he or she has it all together. And David said, I've learned that. I've learned that you don't want me to look like I've got everything together. David is saying, I know if my heart is broke, and here's what's beautiful. For anybody who's ever sinned and you've ever wondered if God would ever love you again, the truth is he never stopped loving you. And here's the beautiful thing. David said, you will not reject a broken and a repentant heart. In other words, if you have a broken and repentant heart, no matter what you've done, you can come to God, and God cannot turn you away because he will never turn anybody away who's got a broken and repentant heart. God will always welcome that man, that woman back home. And David said, I've learned that. You can heal if you take responsibility, if you learn from it. And number three, this is huge. David said, God, I'm going to know I'm okay again when I can help other people not to make the same mistakes that I've made. Just as you have a God who loves you, Satan is your enemy who hates you. His goal is to destroy and wreck your life. And he will put temptations out there, and his purpose is to wreck you and to mess you up and get you off track. And his hope is that he can destroy you. But for anybody who's ever really gotten off the tracks and really done something bad, there is something you can do that will kick him in the face and will totally defeat his plan and will take something that was ugly and turn it into a victory. If you can ever get to the place where you're so healed that you're able to help somebody else who's about to make the same mistake that you've made, and you say, hey, don't go down that road. 
road. I tried that road. It will only lead to difficulty. You can pick your sin, but you can't pick your circumstances. Please listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. I've been there. It didn't work. Please listen to me. When you get to that place where you take responsibility and you learn from what you've done wrong and you're actually able to help people not make the same mistakes, you can turn life's darkest losses into overwhelming victories. Do you believe that this morning? That is God's plan for healing and help. And I can tell you with all the joy in my heart that no matter what you've done and no matter where you've been, maybe there's something in your background that is so ugly and so painful you thought you could never tell anybody. And maybe when you go to sleep at night, you wonder, what would happen to me if I died? I would have to face God, and maybe God hates me for what I've done. Can I tell you, God doesn't hate you. He loves you with all his heart. He wants you to come back to him. God is the God of second chances. God is the God of new starts. He knows what to do and how to help people who are broken. Any man, any woman who comes to him, he will not push away. David would find this healing, and he would be able to get on with his life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've taught us. And I pray for all of us here today that we wouldn't make the two mistakes, either of saying it doesn't matter and I can do what I want to do, or by getting so low that we feel like our life is over. God, we want to take responsibility. We want to learn. And then we actually want to be able to help others learn from our mistakes. Thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you pray with me just a few more seconds? Somebody could listen to this message today and you could say, you could walk away, especially if you've never done anything really bad. You could say, well, I don't know if I th- what I think about God. God sounds kind of soft. Does God just sweep things under the rug? Well, clearly you saw that David had consequences and would have them for the rest of his life. But God doesn't sweep sin under the rug. Sin had to be paid for. And according to the Bible, the reason why Jesus came into our world, remember, he, was, he didn't begin in Bethlehem. He was Almighty God. He was God who became human. And Jesus came into our world, and for 33 years he lived a life and did absolutely nothing wrong. And then he laid down on the cross, and he took nails in his hands and nails in his feet, thorns in his head, a spear in his side. He took brutality for six hours like the world will never know. And the way God looked at it, when Jesus died, he had paid for all the sins of the world. Jesus paid for your sins so that you wouldn't have to. It's the greatest gift I've ever heard of. And that's what it is, a gift, G-I-F-T. God doesn't want you to give money to get it. doesn't want you to join a church to get it. It wouldn't do any good. God wants you to look by faith at Jesus dying on the cross for you and paying for your sins and for you to accept him and his payment as your Savior and King. Of course, the beauty is three days later, he walked out of the grave under his own power, and he's alive and he's listening for you today. And any man, woman, boy, girl who will commit his or her life to Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life by faith, The Bible says God washes your sins away and adopts you into his family. I was just talking to a group of people. I was eight years old on the playground of my school in Fort Worth, Texas, when I bowed over a water fountain and prayed for Christ to forgive me and become my Savior. And I've done many things that 
There's sin since that time, but I've known that the blood of Jesus covers my sin. Hey, if, if you're ready for that, if you've never invited Christ to come into your life, why don't you pray a prayer with me? These aren't magic words. The important thing is what you feel in your heart. But I'll pray these words slowly so that you can think about them. This isn't a ritual. It's just something you do from the heart. And if you're ready to invite Christ to come into your life and forgive you, why don't you pray with me? You ready? Dear Jesus, I know I've done wrong. I take responsibility. But I can't undo it. And I can't pay for it. But Jesus, I believe you died for me. Today I receive your gift of eternal life. I receive you as Savior and King. In Jesus' name, amen.